Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Today we have a very special guest for you. His name is Marty Essen, and he has some fantastic books out. The the book that I actually uh, got introduced to this author is called The Time is a irreverent series and he also has a new book out it is a non-fiction book but we're going to go ahead and talk about all of that first i'd like to go ahead and introduce you marty essen welcome to the show well thank you aaron great to be on your show yeah i'm glad to have you here uh you know i have to say that we are peas in a pod uh when i first you know saw your time is a irreverent book on amazon I just, you know, had to think, oh, my God, there's someone else out there that wrote a book like Time Burrito. And, uh, you know, the the viewers have heard me talk about Time Burrito <laughs> a lot on this podcast, so I don't need to reiterate what that is. But, but man, oh, man, I was I was just, you know, hooked from, from the uh, description. But, you know, you're here to, you know, also talk about some, some current projects you're doing. So go ahead and give the viewers a little or listeners, actually, I guess they would be viewing on YouTube, uh, <laughs> but more, more more listeners as this is a podcast. Uh, so go ahead and give the listeners a little bit about yourself and, and what you're doing now. Well, right now my latest book, uh, as you mentioned, is nonfiction. So I, I, I kind of go back and forth. Uh, this is my sixth book. My first book, uh, my first two books were nonfiction. My first one uh, was called Cool Creatures, Hot Planet, Exploring the Seven Continents. Uh, and that book, uh, it was nonfiction, and it was my wife Deb and I, and what we did is we traveled all seven continents looking for rare and interesting wildlife. And, oh, wow. uh, that book ended up winning six national awards, and I've turned that one into a college show. And I kind of do the stage show version of that, uh, and I've been doing that now for 14 years at colleges. And then after that I did a book called Endangered Edens, also, uh, a non-fiction, more of a, 
a travel adventure. And then after that, I went into what you what you were you just mentioned, Time is Irreverent, uh, which is a science fiction political comedy. Uh, and uh, I ended up doing Time is Irreverent, and then followed that up with uh, Time is Irreverent 2, Jesus Christ, not again. And then the third one in the series was uh, Time is Irreverent 3, uh, Gone for 16 Seconds. And now just came out a week ago. Uh, I'm going back to a nonfiction uh, with a book called Hits, Heathens, and Hippos, Stories from an Agent, Activist, and an Adventurer. And this last book I'm doing is is more of a humorous memoir. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, in, in talking to with you, I know you've actually have worn a lot of different hats uh, with, you know, photography and also as an as an agent for you know creative types and uh-huh. and you know writing and stuff like that so go ahead and tell us a, a little bit more about 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 that about that side of you well yeah like i first of all you and i both came from minnesota right you were born in minnesota or just lived in no minnesota? no actually no i uh i married a minnesotan <laughs> oh, okay. so, so minnesotan by by marriage uh Actually, she isn't even from Minnesota. Like I was, I was born in Chicago, okay. uh, but you know, moved to Albuquerque, grew up uh, there, and then uh, my my you know met my wife, and she got accepted into a PhD program, and uh, you know she's uh, uh, we went to Minnesota that way. So okay, so she went to the University <laughs> she, of Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, and and yeah. she had lived my wife there. Used, my wife used to work there. Oh, okay. But anyway, but yeah, then, so. Yeah. So when, yeah, when, when I started. When did your wife work there? Out of curiosity. Oh, that would have been the 1980s. Okay, yeah. My my wife would have been a teenager then, but she would have okay. been in Minnesota. So. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, I was born in Duluth, uh, Minnesota, and uh, was kind of my 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 first uh, uh, thing that I did that I actually talk about in my new book is. I was Minnesota's youngest DJ, the youngest DJ I think ever in Minnesota history, uh, because back then you used to have to get a third-class broadcaster's license. Uh, now to be on the air, I don't think you have to get a license anymore, but uh couldn't actually take the test and do that until I was 16. So I went on the air when I was 16 uh, and ended up working at a couple different radio stations. And what happened is, I ended up at a brand new rock and roll station in Duluth called KQDS. And, uh, it used to be a country radio station. In fact, I worked there when it was a country radio station. I was a, a disc jockey doing country music and I was a, what, a sophomore in, uh, excuse me, a junior in high school at that time. I did the seven to midnight shift. Uh, but they shut the radio station down for a couple of weeks and reopened it up as this progressive rock station. And the new manager, uh, his name was Mark Allen. He used to manage Tommy James and the Shondells. He used to be the U.S. agent for the Who. And he came in and changed the station to rock and roll. Uh, and I worked with him for a couple of years at the station. And eventually he ended up getting fired. And the reason he got fired is he brought the station from last in the market to number one. And they didn't need to pay him anymore. So uh, yeah, he and I... Yeah, I need him at that one. Yeah, don't need them at that point. So he and I moved to uh, Minneapolis, and we opened up a talent agency. And uh, there we managed rock and roll bands and uh, had a couple hits, and that's kind of where the hits from Hits, Heathens, and Hippos comes from, is uh, 
we had, uh, our, our biggest act was Andre Simone, and people listening probably won't recognize that name, uh, but Andre Simone and Prince grew up together. In fact, uh, Prince used to live at Andre's house, and they used to play in the same band together. And uh, uh, after Prince, uh, Prince and Andre went their separate ways, of course, Prince hit it massively big. Uh, oh, and yeah. Andre didn't hit it quite as big, but Prince wrote a song for him called The Dance Electric. And that song went to number three on the R&B charts while I was part of his management team. And uh, so that actually, that that hit paid for the down payment uh, of uh, my first house in, in Minneapolis. And uh, so, yeah, for about 10 or 12 years, I managed rock and roll bands. I managed contemporary jazz acts in Minneapolis. And finally got tired of the business. And... Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I talk about my book, um, and we may want to go back and talk about that, but I'll just kind of give you an overview. Uh, at that point, I moved to, uh, we moved out to Montana and, uh, moved out to Western Montana where I am now. And, uh, I, one of the things I did out here is I ran an independent telephone company. And so that's quite a bit different from, from what I was doing. Uh, but hey, it paid the bills and it, and it gave me the opportunity to do all the travel and to start writing. Uh, and uh, I ran that telephone company for quite a while. I no longer run it uh, because now I'm spending all of my time writing uh, and uh, speaking at colleges. So that's kind of in a nutshell uh, about uh, what I've been doing. Wow, that is that is quite a bit different, you know, and I actually have that same uh, story of moving to Montana. I mean, not the exact same story of moving to Montana. It, it was uh, my wife getting her Ph.D. after all and then uh, getting – you know, a job here in uh, the, you know, MSU Billings. Uh-huh. Uh, so <laughs> we're over in eastern Montana. So yeah. we're on the other side of the state for, you know, for those of you who uh, don't know what Montana looks like on a map, it's pretty big. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a it's an entire world away from eastern to uh, western Montana. So <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, it is, it is completely different. Um and you know, it, you know, and depending on the person, you know, some people will like the, your, your area better. Some people will like my area better. Um, I, I think where I am, you know, there's obviously more mountains and more wildlife, and that's kind of one of the main reasons I moved out to Montana was just because I love the wildlife, and uh, and so you know, every day, you know, I see all this wildlife that's uh, that's around my house. You know, elk, bear, deer. Uh, moose. Uh, we've got tons of moose on our property uh, every single year, and so it, it's really neat to be out here uh, with all the wildlife here in Montana. Which, you know, Minnesota had a lot of wildlife, but it was much harder to see the wildlife in Minnesota, just because uh, of the way the land is. You know, it's more uh, denser forest, and here in Montana, of course, we've got you know the mountains and we've got the plains, and it's just much easier to see wildlife out here. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, one of our first trips to Yellowstone, uh, I know that's down in Wyoming, but uh, mm-hmm. we uh, <laughs> we were just driving through and we saw all these cars parked on the side of the road. And so we we're just like, yeah, let's see what they're all looking at. And then there was a bear <laughs> just mm-hmm. hanging out, you know, mm-hmm. on the side of the road. And, and even having grown up in New Mexico, I, I hadn't really seen a bear, you know, up close, like uh-huh. like – 
in in terms of that bear could eat me should it choose at, <laughs> at any moment, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I'm sure you probably have had that experience of of animals that could eat you. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, I have, <laughs> but you know, I I'm, I don't worry about the bears though. I mean, it, you know, every time I've ever run across a bear and. And like I said, on my property, I've got about 25 acres around my house. And, you know, there are times where there's like five or six different bears that I can recognize, you know, from their markings or different color coats or different sizes, and never have had any problems with the bears out here. I mean, they're all pretty mellow, and, you know, basically if you get anywhere near them, they're the first ones to run. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a... What what a, a friend of mine said about uh, he had a bear get into his cabin in Colorado and and uh, it it panicked a little because it was trying to get out and and there's these massive claw marks that they just never got refinished because it actually kind of looked kind of cool. Well, yeah, uh, I would think it was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inside his cabin, yeah. So you know, but it, it, they you know the, they said that it, you know it was a a bear that was that was, it was more because the bear was panicking and less <laughs> because it was uh destructive you know uh-huh. uh which you know makes me i i do want to ask i gotta ask about the hippo attack story uh since we're on the topic of wildlife here okay here's the hippo attack story uh this is and you being an author are going to really appreciate this uh even though you write if you ever do you write strictly fiction uh, I, I do. I, I, okay. you know, I, for a while thought I was going to be the next Dave Barry, uh, uh-huh. and wrote some humor essays. Uh, uh-huh. you know, that, that's when I was really young and stuff like that and had, you know, appreciated reading him in the newspaper when I was a kid and stuff. But that was sort of testing my hand at, at, at writing. And, okay. you know, I've integrated comedy in my writing, but not really have ever gone yes. beyond fiction. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing, you know, when I how I ended up traveling to all seven continents is when and I'm, I'll get to the hippo story. I'm going to go around to that, but I'm just kind of set this up a little bit on, on how the book and the hippo thing all all, all this happened is for sure for sure. When we moved out to Montana, my wife and I we went like ten years without ever taking a vacation. And you know, some people say, "Hey, living in Montana is a vacation." And in, in some ways, it is, but. Uh, when my telephone company that I ran, we, we did a land, we owned a landline company called Essen, Essen Communications Corporation. And, uh, when it was a 10th year anniversary, uh, the Valley Republic, which is the local newspaper where I am in the Bitterroot Valley, came out and did a, a feature one, a feature, uh, story on the 10th anniversary of my company. And after the interview was over, I walked the reporter to the door, shook his hand, and said, I'll see you. I'm heading down to the Amazon rainforest because my wife and I had just planned this trip to go down there. And he said, really? Would you like to write a story about it? And I said, sure. I've written for newspapers and I've written for magazines before. That would be cool. So we go down. We have this wonderful adventure uh, in the Amazon. I write a story that was not only a feature in the Valley Republic, but it also became a, a feature in the Missoulian newspaper, the uh, main newspaper out of Missoula, and after that story ran, people would recognize me uh, in the author fo- from the author photo, and if I was in a restaurant or uh, maybe a, a, uh, a uh, supermarket, people would come up to me and they'd say, wow, we love that story, are you going to write another one? 
And so you know, we said, hey, we, we've been wanting to go to Australia. So off we went to Australia. Uh, and the same thing happened, writing another feature story and people coming up to me later on and saying how much they enjoyed it. And at that point I thought, hmm, you know, maybe I've got something here. And I did a little research and found out that no one had ever written a book on the concept of travel to all seven continents. So we just continued our travels. And over three and a half years, we visited all seven continents. And so, you know, each trip would be about three weeks. We'd head out and uh, we'd have the adventure and then I'd come back and, and basically each continent became a chapter in my first book, Cool Creatures, Hot Planet, Exploring the Seven Continents. Now, as an author, you, you, can, you can appreciate, you always want to have a big finish. And our last trip was to Zimbabwe, Africa. And, you know, one of the things that I would worry about being, you know, writing like this, where a book was basically taking place live, is, you know, that we would have a boring trip. You know, what happens if we go to yeah. and, and nothing happens? Well, luckily, yeah, something yeah. happened every single time. But the magic of the whole thing was the last trip to Zimbabwe, Africa. Uh, the first part of it, we did a 53-mile backpacking trip across uh, Manipool's National Park. And that was really cool because usually when you, people go to Africa, you're stuck in the back of a vehicle and they won't let you out of the back of the vehicle because it's too dangerous. Well, we were actually down on the ground, you know, hiking among all the wildlife. And that was an incredible experience. Sometimes it was a little scary, uh, but it was really a great experience. And so as we're walking along this 53-mile hike, uh, you know, we see giant saltwater, or giant Nile crocodiles along the Zambezi River, and we see all these hippos in the water. And so this hike takes us uh, five days, and now we're going to get into canoes, and we're going to retrace our tracks down the Zambezi River on a three-day canoe trip. And on this adventure, uh, we had my wife and I, two other couples, uh, and then three guides. And our main guide knew that we were going to be nervous. And we were. We were really nervous about how, what's it going to be like to face all these hippos and all the crocodiles and everything. And he sat us down and he said, listen, I've been taking people down the Zambezi River for 16 years. Never have we had anyone attacked by an animal. Sit back, relax. You're going to be surprised how safe and easy <laughs> this trip is. So we get one, into one thing I like is how he said never, ha you know. That's <laughs> it's like, but like as a comedy writer, I know what happens next. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you, you know. do. <laughs> so we're into canoes, five canoes in all, and we head down the Zambezi River. And we aren't on the river 15 minutes, and we come across this barricade of hippos. There's like 20 hippos in front of us in this line. And the hippos, they're snorting and they're roaring, and I'm wondering... How are we going to get past these hippos? Uh, but as we canoe closer, the hippos sink underneath the water, and we canoe right over them with our hearts just pounding. And uh, we continue on, and we have some other close encounters as we're going. But after about two or three hours, the river kind of widens, and and the hippos are really spread out. In fact, we're in a spot in the river where we don't even see a hippo. And the river at this point is probably a half mile across, so it's a wide river. And the thing about the Zambezi River is you can be out in the middle, and sometimes you can hit bottom. 
Uh, you can be along shore and it can be very deep. And in this part of the river, it was very deep along shore. And so we were right up against the riverbank. Uh, and my wife and I were, were in the second to the last canoe. She's in the front seat. I'm in the back seat. My dry bag and backpacker in the middle. And it's a beautiful day. And the, we don't see any hippos. And we're just kind of sitting, relaxing, finally not nervous anymore. And all of a sudden, we feel this bump. And next thing you know, <laughs> we're six feet up in the air. The hippo had come underneath us, bit through the center of the canoe, its lower tusk went right through the bottom of the canoe. Its top oh jaw came over and snapped the gunwale and put a big hole in my backpack. So, if you can imagine, oh. a, if you can imagine a front end loader lifting gravel and then dumping it on shore, that's what the hippo did to us. In fact, I can still see it in slow motion as they go up in the air and I fly out of the canoe first, and then Deb flies out of the canoe and she hits the ground with this eerie thud. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, she's dead. And I run up to her, Deb, are you okay? Are you okay? She gets up, and then we remember the hippo, and we wheel toward the water, and the hippo drops the canoe and then sinks back into the water. And then my, wow. wife, and I, we, <laughs> my wife and I, we look at each other and we realize, hey, we're okay. And we break <laughs> into hysterical laughter because... How often does someone get a chance to be attacked by a hippo and live through it? So that was Not that was much. our hip, that was our hippo story. And oh my you god! Know, it was like, you know, we we really didn't have a chance to get nervous at that point. Uh, but the other two couples, uh, they came running up on shore after everything happened, and they said, "Uh uh-uh, uh, we're hiking out of here." <laughs> <laughs> you know, they weren't going to go any farther. But, you know, it was going to be, it was, what? It, no, it was no, gonna, no. Yeah. Okay, it was going to be dark soon, and we really needed to continue via canoe. Now, obviously, my wife's and my my canoe was totally destroyed. There was no way we could get in oh that. <laughs> uh, but we eventually, we, we talked to the other two couples to get back into the canoes, because it was going to be more dangerous to hike out in the dark. Uh, than to get back into canoes, uh, and we weren't that far from camp. Uh, but so we push out back onto the river, and this time Deb, my wife, is uh, we've doubled up in canoes, and she's in the center of one of the canoes. And the other two couples, as they go out onto the river, they're literally physically shaking with fear. And <laughs> but my wife and I, we are still laughing. And when I see her in the, I see her in the middle of the canoe. And it hits me, and I yell, "Dab, you're sitting in the death seat!" <laughs> and our guy just shushes me because, uh, you know, I'm making things so much worse for the other two couples. Now, you know, <laughs> later on, once we make it to camp, you know, we end up being just as nervous as the other two couples because, you know, what had happened is, you know, we didn't see the hippo coming. We didn't have a chance to get nervous, so we yeah, were thrown up yeah. the air and we hit the ground. And we were so high on adrenaline, we were slap happy. Uh, oh yeah, so, yeah, totally. It was the adrenaline that was kicking in that you were. Oh, just, it was you know, it was such an adrenaline rush, and, and you know, and, and, and then you know, the writer in me is thinking, you know, wow, what a great way to end the book. You know, you can't beat a hippo attack. <laughs> so it was just one of those magical yeah. ways to to end that first book. So that's oh, the hippo my, yeah, attack. Wow, story. it's like you were. Given given a natural ending, uh, you know, 
a life is stranger than fiction <laughs> exactly. ending. I mean that that is that is that is pretty amazing. You well, know? you know, and, and you think about the odds. Okay, so first of all, yeah, that that happened in the story, uh, and there were five canoes. The hippo could have chosen any of the five canoes, and it chose mine. <laughs> it was like I would have been so oh, pissed yeah. if it had chosen someone else's canoe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. You would have been my, and then somebody, a hippo attacked somebody else. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it just would, it wouldn't quite have the same ring to it. <laughs> wow, that's that's a that's a great story. You know, I I don't think I've ever heard a wildlife story quite like that. I mean, <laughs> my my closest in, encounter with a, a wildlife was a was a uh, mountain lion that was snacking on a kill uh, yeah. that we came across and and uh you know it was sitting there happily munching away on this deer and and my friend and I just kind of looked at each other and backed away you know cuz we we're like yeah that's a mountain lion yeah it's eating something it's probably good right now so let's not uh <laughs> encourage <laughs> well, it at all <laughs> well lucky you to see a mountain lion i you know, we have mountain lions around our house but I don't see them very often. I saw one last year just run across the road, and it was like if I blinked, I would have missed it. And then I I had another time where we could see uh, my my house is kind of on a hill, and then down below we have property down below our house. We kind of call our house the tree house because we're in the trees. And uh, um, it was in the winter, and a mountain lion had killed a deer, and it pulled the deer practically all the way across our property, and you could just see this bloody streak as it had pulled the deer, which was which was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it's it's really rare to be able to actually sit and or to watch a mountain lion for any length of time. Oh, it is, it is. Yeah, I uh, yeah, you know, my I got very lucky because uh, you know, growing up, my my best friend his family owned a. Uh, a piece of property in southern Colorado about four hours away from Albuquerque. Uh, so, you know, because he was my best friend, we uh-huh. went up to his cabin up in Colorado all the time. And, you know, the 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 actual cabin itself was kind of in the last piece of uh, property before the National Forest. So uh-huh. you could just walk straight from his uh, property to the National Forest. And, uh, you know, that's uh, <laughs> where we saw the, the mountain lion uh you know, in this area of forest that we had walked many times before, and uh-huh. and uh, yeah, it was just really interesting to see because yeah, you don't you don't really see them, you know, like uh-huh. like I've seen plenty of other <laughs> uh, forest beings, but not uh, not a mountain lion, at least not not after uh, <laughs> that day, you know. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, so you know, uh, it's hard to follow up the hippo story, but I'm going to change gears a little bit because okay. I have to ask about science fiction. Sure. Uh, I review science fiction here a lot on the show, uh-huh. uh, and you know, very rarely do we get science uh, fiction writers on. So let's let's go ahead and talk shop a, a, a little bit okay. about about you know science fiction. So what what kind of intrigues you about the genre? Why do you write it? Uh, you know, what are, what what are, what are you know? Let's let's go and start with that okay. and see where well, we go from there. First of all, you know, anything I write is going to be political. It's just I'm a political person. I'm a liberal. And there's I have to have a reason to write. And For sure. So, you know, I couldn't write just a uh, just a book that didn't have any politics in it. 
And, you know, years and years ago, before I wrote my first book, Cool Creatures, Hot Planet, I had this idea. You know, what if I wrote a science fiction book and the whole idea was that the the protagonist would go back to the time of Christ and screw things up and then when he came back uh, to present time, he would have replaced Christ in the Bible. And I was trying to figure out how to write it. And I spent a couple days on it. And I, at that point, I just didn't feel I was good enough of a writer to do it. It was just, you know, I, I, I didn't have enough experience writing dialogue. You know, basically my writing experience had been, you know, I'd written some uh, feature articles for magazines. I'd written for newspapers. But it's a whole other thing doing fiction uh, and, and with dialogue and everything. So I for put sure. that I mean, idea well, you a very heavy topic, too, you know, like a very... Very profound topic to, to write about, so you know. Yeah, it's, except uh, I always had a comedy it, it to it, and I, I, it was yeah. I hadn't I didn't at that time. But yeah, but after I wrote my first two nonfiction books, uh, you know, even even though they were nonfiction, they still had dialogue in it. And I worked with a great editor. Uh, her name is Lori Rosen. She's out of uh, Florida, and she had edited like thirty four New York Times best selling books. And I worked with her on, on my first book, and um, it was an amazing to work with her because you know I I had written for since I'd written for magazines, newspapers, I thought I knew what I was doing, and so I sent her the first couple chapters of my first book, thinking she'd send it back, say, oh, there's a few commas out of place, but it is perfect other than that, and of course that's not <laughs> what I got. Uh, what I got was was a was a manuscript written uh, marked up like graffiti you know with so many different things i needed to work on and so working with her for that first book was kind of like was more like taking a master class in writing than just working with an editor and so i learned so much from her and then after writing those first two books then i felt like i can go back and i and i kind of took that original idea uh, what happens if you go back in time and change things at the time of Christ? And so that's kind of what Time is Irreverent does. It, uh, ex- except it does it in a really, really funny way. At least I think it's funny. And, you know, yeah, going no, back I it was and, funny too. and, uh, you know, and it was kind of not only, the only difference is in really in, in Time is Irreverent, it's kind of an, a total accident. Uh, and it only happens briefly that, that my my protagonist uh, replaces replaces Christ in the Bible, uh, but you know, it was more uh, to re- to replace uh, somebody in current time, which is uh, who I call President Hanley. Who you know, it's it's real easy to tell for people to tell. I by President Hanley, I mean President Trump, <laughs> and uh, for sure, and, for sure, yeah, and so. You know, that's what happens in that book is it's going back uh in time and you know, I I use uh ali- you know, I, the other part is well how do you get your time machine? How do you go back in time? And uh so you know, I had time traveling aliens uh that uh, help help with that project, uh, benevolent aliens that uh help worlds in trouble. And so, you know, they get called they they uh, when President Hanley is is bombing the hell out of places, uh, it, it catches their attention and, 
and so they send my protagonist back in time. And of course, all I like hell breaks loose. That the name of the aliens is is something that really <laughs> made me laugh out loud when I was uh, uh, <laughs> going through your book. Oh, good! Uh, I'm glad the, I made the you laugh. Was, the was the Critters, I would have to say was was really was really a, a great a great uh, <laughs> a, and, a great a great and joke. So and obviously, Critchards, yeah, just to, so people understand, Critchards came, uh, from basically my aliens, uh, the names that they used were unpronounceable to humans, so my protagonist named everything after rock and roll. And so the Critchards, uh, which you know, is the name of the aliens, comes mean... from Keith Richards. <laughs> the Critchards. <laughs> Keith yeah, Richards and the yeah. Rolling Stones. Which is funny, because I, like I thought about that joke for a while after I, you know, I, I heard it. So for those of you that were, that are listening, I actually this is my dark secret as a writer that I listen to more books that I read. I actually like. It seems like I never have time to read, but I always have time to go through an audio book. So I actually got through. I actually did uh, Time Is Reverend by audiobook. But uh, after I heard that Critchard's joke, I I just kept thinking like, like the the reason why it was. Uh, uh, the Critchers, it was, he was thinking, the character was thinking of the greatest musician of all time for him. And I was sitting there having to think, like, what would I, you know, what would be my alien race, uh, you know, if I was doing this? And, and I had to settle on David Gilmore. So I was like, the, the Delmore, the Daymores, the, you know, the, you know, like I was trying to think of what my alien race would be. And it, that was kind of the fun, uh, you know, I thought of that. Of that uh-huh. <laughs> that naming thing is I you know I suddenly was sitting there thinking you know a, a mark of a good book is when you're putting yourself in that situation and and I was trying to think of you know because you had a I'm I'm guessing a reference to Tina Turner because one of them was named yeah Tina, Tina Turner right? Bruce Springsteen you know Bruce well, I kind yeah, of yeah where that kind of influence I, I influenced me on is where I got that kind of influence was. One of my favorite time travel books is uh, A Time Traveler's Wife. And uh, and one of the things that I really liked about that book is even though it's a book, it almost it almost has a soundtrack in it. And there's lots of music references in Time Traveler's Wife. And so you kind of feel the soundtrack as you're reading it. And uh, it was one of the big disappointments when I saw the movie The Time Traveler's Wife. Have, have you are you have you read the book or seen the movie? I actually haven't. That's a one piece of. I'm pretty well versed in time travel fiction, but sadly, that's one that I'm not uh, well versed in. Only because uh, one of my 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 friends who I trust, uh, <laughs> as far as uh, you know, reviews uh, basically said, ah, "It's not worth it. Don't waste oh, your time." Oh, really? So, See, you it, know, maybe it, I, I should. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, re, um, books are so subjective. You know, I mean, they Time Traveler's Wife you know. is, is is my favorite time travel book, uh, um, and um, of course, I'm just starting years, so I, hopefully, years will pass that by. <laughs> but you, the Time Traveler's Wife it then became a movie, and uh, one of the things I thought they really blew with the movie is there's absolutely no music in the movie. And it was so big in in the book, and so anyway, that that book gave me the, really the music inspiration, and I've always tried to have a little bit of music somehow 
in the books, and plus with my music background, being in radio and and being a rock and roll talent agent, you know, music has always been a big part of my life. So I try to kind of fit in this virtual soundtrack, uh, and so that's kind of also why I did did the music thing with Time Is Irreverent. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because you know music is a, a pretty big part of my life too. I I ha- have been in kind of a a prog rock band that. Uh, we only produce stuff online, like you know, we we just decided not to play live and, and just uh-huh. write songs. So like like some of the songs I wrote ten years ago, I don't even know how to play anymore because uh-huh. you know we, we record them and then we're done, you know. Uh-huh. But uh, you know because of that, I I wrote a book uh, called Playlist of the Ancient Dead, where they were stuck in this uh, sort of uh, you know a, a TARDIS like thing where it's bigger on the inside and uh it's like a long hallway with a bunch of doors and, and the way to summon a door uh you know they have to sing a song in order to open a door and every time they sing a song the lyrics of the song inform that the room they're going in uh, uh so for example uh they do you know uh uh John Denver uh the <laughs> I'm blanking on the name of the song now but it's the the West Virginia song you know Oh, uh, take me home, roads. country roads. Yeah, take me home, country roads, and they, yep. you know, they get into a song where, you know, there's this, you know, uh, axe murdering mountain mama, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and 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 so it takes the lyrics of of songs and turns them into kind of a horror show room that they have to navigate in order to get out, you know, and it, it was an interesting thing because it was that same idea of, of, of taking music and having it really strongly influence the book. I even named all the chapter titles uh, after real songs and, and some of them, you know, well-known songs that you would see the chapter title and, and recognize and then other ones not quite so... Uh, well known, so hopefully you know <laughs> to give people some digging to do if they got interested. But I I totally know what you you mean by that because I feel it really adds this other dimension to the work. You know. Uh huh. The name of that book again is what? Oh, it's a playlist of the ancient dead. And that's on it's Amazon actually... in every as well. Now? Yeah, yeah, that's on Amazon. That's bad. my. Yeah, that's one of my first ones I wrote. So uh, I think the editing might be pretty atrocious on it because I, <laughs> you know, since have got professional editors, but that was before I, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> realized that you need professional editors. You yeah, know? <laughs> you do. You do. You know, it, and, it, and it, I don't it, know. <laughs> it is amazing. No matter how, you know, how long I work on a book. You know, I'm always surprised when I send it to an editor, and I, 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 you know, even now that I've done my sixth book, you know, when I send it to the editor, I still think, oh, this one's going to come back. They're not going to have anything marked up. They're not going to find anything this time, and they always for do. For sure, they always they do. always do. Yeah. So you know, for anyone who's listening, who's like, man, I want to be a writer too. Editor, that's the best money you'll ever spend. <laughs> I, yeah, we're not getting here. Cover yeah, art no, is you, the next yeah. uh, next best money. <laughs> and, and really, no one should put a book out without without it. It is it is one of the things you know, that that you know. And I, in fact, I I I when I when I'm speaking at colleges, I also I do a do a writing business workshop. It's one of the things I always tell everybody. Yeah, you cannot edit yourself. I mean, you can, but you can't edit yourself to 
book standards. And yeah, yeah, you should never put out, you know, you shouldn't put out a book unless it's it, it's at that standard. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very true. It's very true. And you know, you, so you've been doing these books yourself on Amazon, right? Uh, or do you have a publisher that you're working with? Well, it did. You know, well, I I own my own publishing company, Encante Press oh, okay. LLC, and yeah. that started out because. The, with the first book I wrote, Cool Creatures, Hot Planet, Exploring the Seven Continents, is when I, you know, I had mentioned I'd, I'd written for magazines and newspapers. And then I started working, when I wrote, started writing my, my first book, I worked with Lori Rose and the editor. And one of the things that I had, had to learn is I'm not naturally a detail-oriented person. And so if I'm taking up my, my listener or my reader into the rainforest, I may just, you know, say, you know, we're in the rainforest and it's hot or something, just something really basic. And which is, which is okay if you're writing a newspaper article. But when you're writing a, a, for a book, you have to, you have to have the, the reader feel the rainforest. What does it smell like? How hot is it? You know, what does it look like? You know, and, and put in all those details. And also, my first book had a lot of photos, and it had about about 80 photos. Uh, and they're all color photos. And so what happened is, is after working with Lori Rosen and, and learning to write with a lot more detail and adding the photos, the book uh, turned out to be a, a pretty darn long book, about 172 thousand words with color photos. Oh wow. <laughs> and you know, for now hundred and seventy two thousand words probably doesn't mean anything to anybody who's not a writer, but um usually a book is going to be somewhere between seventy thousand and a hundred thousand words. Uh, the New Testament is approximately 172,000 words, so the book ended up being quite <laughs> quite long. And so when I started shopping it to to publishing companies, uh, you know, I got a lot of lot of really good comments. But people said, you know, it's too long. You know, it, it, it later on, you know, once you are an established writer, uh, you know, if you're Stephen King or whatever, you can write as long as you want. But when it's yeah. your first book, they don't, you know, they want you to stay around a hundred thousand words or less. They also don't want color photos because it makes it for a very expensive book. So after I learned all these writing techniques and I wrote my masterpiece to get a publishing deal, I would have had to do two things. I would have had to get rid of the color photos and I would have had to cut 70,000 words from my book. And, uh, I wasn't willing to do that. And since yeah. I had run, uh, you know, two talent agencies, I'd run a telephone company before, uh, in fact, I'm still running a telephone company, I know how to run businesses. And it made much more sense. It's still the best thing I ever did was to not sell out. And so I started in Conte Press, and then what I did is I got a distributor out of New York City called Midpoint Trade. And uh, so they distributed the paperback. Uh, and I did, I did the, the, the ebook myself, but they did the paperback. They got it into Barnes and Nobles. They got it into Books a Million. They got it into basically everywhere all over the United States. So I was set up exactly like, like a major publishing company. 
And, wow. you know, and I used top-notch people, you know, for the editing, for the book design. I used the best people I could find everywhere. So it was really a high-quality project, and hence why it won all those awards. Uh, and it also became my college show that I'm still doing at colleges 14 years later. So Wow, that's very they, cool. Thank God I didn't listen to the publishing companies. And oh, so, yeah. and yeah. after that, and then my next book, Endangered Edens, uh, had even more photos in it. It has like 180 photos, and it's printed on glo- glossy paper. Uh, and again, it was a very expensive book to produce. In fact, I had to have it, um, I had to have it printed in, uh, in China. Um, because it would have, I would have had to charge like fifty dollars for the book uh, if we if we had it printed in the United States, and you really don't want to go that high. So we did it in China. They did a great job, and I was able to sell the book, the, the paperback version, for nineteen ninety nine, uh, and, uh, and which gets it right in, you know, with where books should, should be priced. And so anyway, yeah, I've just continued that way. Uh, doing it myself, I, I I I like the freedom of if I want to put a book on sale, as you, you you're doing things yourself, you know that too. If you want to put a book on sale, I can put a book on sale tomorrow. You know, if I want oh, to do yeah, a promotion, yeah. I can do that. I've got you know all of that freedom, uh, and I still think I'm putting out books that are competing uh, quality wise, you know, with anything a major publisher is putting out. So. It kind of gives me the best of both worlds. And the other nice thing is you don't have to wait. You know, it's it was like I got Hits, Heathens, and Hippos, my latest book done. And, you know, if, if I went with a major publisher, it would not be out yet. It would be, you know, if I was lucky, I'd get it out by next September or October. And But I wanted to get it out now uh, because, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that's, that's fairly current. You know, even talking about, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and, in relating to that, and uh, and so anyway, yeah, I, I do everything under Encante Press LLC uh, for for oh, yeah. a variety of reasons, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. No, yeah, I mean the whole getting things out uh, a lot quicker is 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 really nice about about doing things yourself. I mean, I never intended to write sequels to the Time Burrito series, but you know during the the pandemic in the summertime, I, I just, you know, was done with a lot of my writing projects and I decided to write, you know, two sequels, not just one, but, you know, book two and book three. And, <laughs> and literally they were out by no October and November, you know, like, <laughs> like it just yeah. goes to show you from, you know, it's, it, it, thinking of the concept to, to publishing. So you can uh-huh. really go at your own pace and your own timeline, you know, and. Well, and, you know, uh, it is interesting. You know, we've both mentioned. You know, writing during the pandemic, I, and I mean that that gave me time off. You know, because initially, because you know, in this, which is normally I'm working, I'm speaking at colleges, and this year or last year was like almost exactly a year ago. You know, colleges shut down, yeah. and so it gave me, you know, the time to start to start this new book, and I wrote the book faster than I've ever written a book before. And fortunately, too, with colleges, colleges now I'm doing my shows via Zoom. Uh, but the point I was getting to is, you know, with this COVID-19 pandemic, and you know, thankfully, hopefully, we're getting, we're, we're at least being able to see the end of it. It is just all the things where creative people are going are coming out with, going to be coming out with projects. You know, writers, 
Right, we're going to have more book, new books out there than we've probably ever had at a single time. Uh, new music. I, basically any rock and roll band, any rap, rap back, any jazz, anybody that's in the music business took advantage of the pandemic and went in and recorded. So there's lots of new music coming out now. Uh, and so all these arts people, I think, you hate to say they 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 flourished because of it because of it, but you know there is that silver lining I think to the pandemic for for people uh, artistic people uh, I think a lot so many of them you know knuckle down and all right if I'm going to have to stay home you know I'm going to I'm going to do this and and so many things are going to come out of that. Oh yeah, no, it's going to be an interesting year in 2021. I mean. Even my my bandmates uh, for that band I'm in, where we record kind of prog rock music, he uh, he in the middle of the pandemic sent me like 12 tracks and said, "Here's some Viking poetry. I want you to scream the lyrics." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." So he did like this Viking death metal, you know, oh, cool. yeah. <laughs> album, which is a really uh, huge departure from what we normally do, but it was like, like, I don't know if that would have happened otherwise, you know what I mean? Like, like if, if, if everyone was busy with their lives and, you know, instead of just sitting there, you know, for him, it was like looking at this book of Viking poetry and like, I want to make the music to this, <laughs> you know? So now I've got a question this poetry. for you. Cause, cause you can answer questions. Um, for me on this, because it fascinates me, uh, one of my favorite bands is, is Evanescence, and they've got a brand new album that's coming out here in, in a couple weeks, and basically, from what I can tell, they all did it separately from their homes. In fact, one of one of the, the guitarists lives in Europe, and she did her part in Europe, and they did it all separately. Did you do the same thing with your with with what you just recorded? Everybody recorded uh from different locations oh yeah yeah though no that's how we always have done it like i think like that's that so even, cool that you can do that yeah, I, it, yeah. it blows me away uh how how you can how how you can do that and get everything together uh in fact people are evanescence even did a concert that way where uh they had everybody you know doing in in studio but in different places it, it, it the technology to do that just blows me away Oh yeah, yeah, and it's even it's I mean, you know, the the dirty little secret is Apple has, you know, <laughs> made it incredibly easy by through Bandcamp where you just need a decent thing to plug your instrument into your your computer and 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 there you go, Bandcamp does the rest for you. Uh wow. you know, it just it's just so super easy to do. So, it's really not, you know, a, a problem. And you know, I I'm a musician that came from uh, alive, you know, you know, like I, the reason I met the guy who I'm, well, I mean, I knew the guy who I was recording music with, but the reason uh-huh. we started recording together, uh, I had no idea that he loved recording music, but, you know, uh, he saw me play in my live band and was uh-huh. like, dude, I want to record your guys' album, <laughs> you know, and I was like, I had no idea you liked recording stuff, and so, uh-huh. you know, I ended up recording the live album with him, and then, you know, after doing, or a li- album with him, after doing that, he was like, he was like, dude, we should be a band that just records music. <laughs> and I was like, sounds good to me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, you know, uh, ten albums later, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I guess this is a thing now, uh, uh-huh. you, you know. 
but yeah, it's it's interesting. It's they the the tools have really changed in in the music industry. Where I think uh, there's more uh, uh, access than there ever has been, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for you know independent musicians. I mean, my my son, who's only three years old, he really loves this uh, artist called Street Cleaner. And uh, the best way to describe Street Cleaner is it's a uh, you know the soundtrack for an 80s movie that never got made uh and you know i actually like the stuff too and and, uh-huh. and you know uh it, it all came across because we were listening to one of uh his albums while we were driving through yellowstone and, and then after that uh my my uh you know son keeps requesting to listen to street cleaner and and it's interesting because street cleaner uh you know, is is uh, just it sounds like a, a regular person who just started making music. You know, isn't uh, necessarily a, a a household name or anything like that. And and I probably would have never even been introduced to an artist like that had uh, you know we not lived in this world where you can just like oh look what this artist here is making in this other city for me. You know what I mean? Like oh this is cool. I'll check this out. You know. Uh-huh. So yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of I kind of like the idea that music has been uh <laughs> uh you know, <laughs> uh I guess democratized like that. So uh-huh. I don't know, it's interesting. How do how do you think since you you know, you you've been actually in the business and and you know, I've you know, I'm I'm coming at a very different perspective because I've always been with the the scrappy people <laughs> doing it from home, but you've actually been in the studios and and stuff like that. So well, you know, you know it, it's it's changed a lot, obviously. You know, in fact, I, you know, I still get you know artists that I had worked with that want me to go back into the business and, and manage them again. And I have to say, the, the the part of the business has changed so much. You know, it used to be you know you had to get a, a record deal with a major record with a major record company, and you know, but now there's you know. Every, there's all the recording online, and the, the you know there's a Pandora and, and all the other different music services, um, and well, how do you make money that way? You know, you're only getting you know I I'm friends with a, a band called Collide out of Los Angeles, and uh, was ha- I was talking with them and, and how little they make, you know, off of a song that's played on Pandora, um, you know, but they make some. <laughs> And uh, on the other hand, you know, it's, for sure, for sure. it's, you know, I don't know when you write, I'm going to kind of stay on music here, but change just a little bit here. When you write, do you have music going or do you have to have it perfectly quiet when you write? You know, I, I can actually go both ways. I, if, if music is going, it has to be instrumental, which is actually part of why I found that uh, band Street Cleaner in the, in, oh, okay. in the, in the first place, because I wanted something that was basically like this is science fiction when <laughs> you listen to it and then and that filled that bubble you know for me and uh-huh. it was good enough that i had to share it with my wife and <laughs> you know yeah and so, and and whatnot but yeah it, it, so sometimes if it's instrumental but there's other times where i you know the music does get distracting and i need to stop everything and just focus on what i'm writing so it just depends on the day really for me yeah well, you know, I'm one of those people that has to have music going, and I usually have it going pretty loud when I'm writing. And it's like it—I feel like it maybe it occupies a part of my brain that 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 if that stays occupied, then I can concentrate. Um, and you know, so I usually have you know have you know Pandora going. 
so it's not not anything that I have to do any maintenance. I just you know pick a station, let Pandora play for me, uh, and I've discovered a lot of great music that way. Um, there's a a genre of music uh, that's not popular in the United States, but it's huge overseas. Uh, it's called um, a symphonic metal. And it's not, I wouldn't call it metal though, because it just isn't that hard, but it's basically, you know, it's, it's rock with, uh, with some, some symphonic instruments and usually a female vocalist that has, uh, opera training, uh, so it was a, so it's a female vocalist with a really, really great range. Uh, the closest we have here in the United States, I think, to that would be Evanescence. But, yeah, um, I was gonna say that that sounds a lot, like Evanescence. Yeah, it's as close. Uh, but so one of the bands that I had discovered while I was writing Time is Irreverent uh, was a band called um, uh, Within Temptation. Uh, they're a band out of the Netherlands. And uh, incredible band. And I bought all their albums. And, and then I, you know, I wasn't sure if my wife would like it or not. And so we, I, I, I talked her into streaming a concert, and we ended up streaming a concert uh, where, that they did in their home home country of the Netherlands. And she, after after the show was over, she wow, she says, you know, I would just love to hear that wall of sound in person. And of course, it's like, okay, <laughs> we go to the website, <laughs> and I say, pick one. And they hardly ever play in the United States because no one knows them here. But overseas, yeah. they sell out a year in advance. And wow. uh, so uh, we had, we actually didn't pick it quite that day, but the next day we, we went through, we was like, well, do we want to see them in Sweden? Do we want to see them, you know, in all these different... We ended up, we ended up basically flying to Italy to see them. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> We had to, we had to book it a year in advance because that's how far you have to buy their tickets, and that ended up wow. in that whole story ends up in my latest book, uh, Hits Heathens and Hippos. Uh, but anyway, that that's kind of something where, um, you know, just my writing uh, got me <laughs> to Italy, and uh, <laughs> and and the other thing that the, with the writing on that whole thing is my wife is also a writer, but she is a completely different kind of writer than I am. She uh, is a master weaver, and so she she writes weaving books. And uh, oh. so we, we went up going, going to Italy. We saw Within Temptation, and they were awesome in concert. But then we also did a lot, stopped at some of these ancient weaving workshop places, and she turned that into a magazine article, and now she's putting it in her new book. So it's kind of one of those interesting things where a lot of things just kind of work together. Um, but anyway, I'm kind of way got off, off topic on that one. But That's okay. About I, I often get off topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, this, this podcast is all about going out where the little threads uh, take us. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> and actually, you know, we're going to have to bring you back another time on, on, on the show because I feel like we've only got started and, we're already here looking to be at the end, but, uh, before <laughs> we, before we go here. Writers together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's exactly what it is. The, the topics are endless here. Uh, so, you know, before we go though, I want you to basically share, you know, with the readers how they could get a hold of you, uh, 
you know, where they can find your books, uh, just sure. any any sort of information that you might want to might want to share with them. Okay, well, yeah, all of my books. The easiest is probably Amazon, uh, but uh, and and certainly if, if you're an ebook reader, that's the only place to go is Amazon because it's only available on Kindle. All of my books, but if you want a paperback, uh, if you're if you're if you're a reader of traditional pa- uh, books, basically any place in the world has my books. Uh, you know, Barnes and Noble has them, uh, uh, Books a Million, uh, your local bookstore. Uh, all you got to do is ask the local bookstore if they don't have it, they can order it. Uh, so uh, you basically get the books anywhere. Um, and uh, as far as for getting a hold of me, you know, I am on Facebook. I'm one of the few Marty Essens in the world. In fact, I may be the only Marty Essen in the world. So uh, I am on Facebook, and, and you're welcome to check me out there. It's just type in Marty Essen. It'll come up to me. Uh, my website is also the same as my name. It's MartyEssen.com. That's M-A-R-T-Y-E-S-S-E-N.com. And I think that's that's how to get a hold of me. And uh, you can get a hold of me through my website or through Facebook if anybody has any questions. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. And, oh, it's uh, been yeah. a pleasure go talking ahead. with you, Aaron. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. And, and yeah, go ahead and hang on the line here. Okay. Okay.